I remember the day where Brian came to my office and God had been working on him been sitting under the sound of the preaching for a while. God had been working on his heart. I remember the day he called upon Christ uh, to save him right over there. And, and here's what's great about that. Brian wasn't going to go any further in his spiritual life until he came to know Jesus Christ personally. He's not going to get to a commit level or a connect level or a grow level or serve level until he's gotten to the believe level. That is the foundation of all spirituality. Do you know Jesus? Have you placed your faith like Brian did in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Last week, we started a series called On Mission. What is our mission? It is helping people find and follow Jesus. And we preached that last week. Why it's so important for us to hold to that mission and not get distracted and not drift away from that mission. That's what we as a church are called to do. But how are we going to stay after it? How are we going to facilitate that? How is that going to happen? How is it going to go from wall art to a reality? Well, that's what those growth steps are for. And so we're going to be making our way through those in the next five weeks. And I'm going to be telling you that uh, each one is so very important. And each one builds on the other. They're sequential in their movement. And so we're going to start with the first step, and that's believe. It's believe. Now, now for some, you might already think, well, I've got this one passed. But that's the very essence of our message this morning. Because not everybody who thinks they're saved are saved. Some people's faith, the book of James says, is actually dead. Doesn't mean they were saved and then lost salvation. We believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. It, believes they it means they never got saved in the first place. Because they never truly believed. And so I'm, I'm confident that this message is going to speak to some in here. And here's my burden. You cannot try to put a band-aid on your life. By saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to a church. I'm going to go to church more because that'll make things better. Or you know what, I'm going to connect to church people because, you know, the, my, my, my current associations and influence just aren't good for me. So I need to get around some better people. Or I'm going to start doing church things and I'm going to grow and I'm going to serve. You can't put a Band-Aid on a lost heart. The only remedy is if you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you, that he was buried, he, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and that you call upon him by faith to be your Lord and Savior. That's the only cure for a lost heart. Amen. And that's what we're going to be on today. Matthew chapter 7. Turn there in your Bible, please. Matthew in chapter number 7. How many of you have ever been driving down the highway and you took a wrong road? Raise your hand. You took a wrong road and you want to admit it. That's probably most of us. Some of the husbands didn't raise their hand, but I guarantee you it's because you're too prideful to raise your hand, just like you're too prideful to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Jenny was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, my wife. In 2015, we had a 41-day stay uh, in four emergency surgeries in a hospital in Castle Rock, Colorado in 2015. While she was there, I was commuting back and forth from, from Denver to Liberal, from Denver to Liberal, and I would take the I-70 route most of the time. And I began to be able to drive this in my sleep, so I thought. And then when Jenny was able to come home, put her in the car, and she was resting, and we were coming home the same way I'd come so many times before in the last month, um, but, but I missed my turn. See, I had my headphones in. When I'm driving, I usually put my headphones in. Uh, I'm not sure if that's legal or illegal, but... Um, God forgives me, so I don't know. Um, 
but I, I get in the zone, like I'm listening to a sermon or a sermon series. And so I'm driving down the road and, and Jenny's resting. She's tired. And so it dawns on me that I think I should have turned a long time ago. That is the worst feeling ever. And so I pull over to the shoulder and I look at my GPS and sure enough, the thing has been telling me to reroute for a long time. And, and, and I've just been so in the zone and just took for granted that I was on the right road. I had to pull over, look at my phone to realize that I wasn't a few miles past the wrong turn. I was 80 miles past the wrong turn. When I realized that, Jenny woke up. I woke her up. I was upset. I was burdened. And so I turned around and I found the right road. The reason why I mention that, I have a lot more stories like it, unfortunately. But the reason I mention it is because if it's that easy to take the wrong road in a car, isn't it possible to be on the wrong road in your life? Is it possible to be so focused on where you're headed right now that you've lost all sense of direction spiritually and you have no idea that you're traveling the opposite direction that you should actually be traveling? Matthew chapter 7 speaks of two roads, two paths, and they each lead to their own destination. One leads to hell, one leads to Heaven. Look at verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Well, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Look up here for a moment. The broad path leads to destruction. That's hell. The narrow path leads to life. That's heaven. Now, did you notice in those verses that only a few people take the right road? But many people take the wrong road. In other words, more people get it wrong than get it right. The idea shows up again in a few verses later. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name doeth many wonderful works. And this one's not on the screen, but look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now listen, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus would have said that a few people will stand before God on judgment day absolutely convinced that everything is fine, only to find out otherwise. But he doesn't say a few. He doesn't even say some. He says many, many who assume they're on the right road to heaven will find out that heaven is not their final destination. In fact, they'll find out that they were traveling in the opposite direction the entire time. And I'm just wondering today, is it possible that you might think you're on the narrow road, but you're actually on the broad road? Could it be that you, you, you've got cruise control going, you turned up the radio, and all the while you're traveling down the road of destruction? A man by the name of Donald Whitney said this, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it doesn't matter what they're right about. No, the people stood before God and said, God, we, we did this right, we said this right, but there's one thing they didn't get right. 
And that was their relationship with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how many things you get right if you're wrong about being right with God. What I want you to do in the next few minutes, if you will, is to slow down your vehicle. Pull over to the shoulder. Put your mind and your heart on part for a second. At least long enough to honestly, eva honestly evaluate what road you're really on. And to help you evaluate that, I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself. And I want you to answer these honestly in your heart. Because how you answer them determine whether you're on the road that leads to life or the road that leads to destruction. Here's question number one. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Look at verse 21 again. Not everyone that, watch that word, saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So, so Jesus makes a distinction between those that think they're going to heaven and those that are really going to heaven. And the distinction is based on a contrast of the words saith and doeth. Now, now that's important to note because even today we live in a time when we have become increasingly comfortable with separating what we say we believe, believe with how we live and what we do. And we've convinced ourselves that our beliefs are sincere and they're even valid, well, even if they have no impact on how we live our lives. For example, if I were to ask the, the average American today, do you believe that, that healthy eating is important to you or important for your life. Undoubtedly, especially in a health crazed world that we live in right now, they would say, absolutely, I ought to eat healthy. Absolutely, it's important for my life. But did you know that last year one of the most popular foods at state fairs was a bacon cheeseburger with a bun made out of two Krispy Kreme donuts? <laughs> and you could pay extra for chocolate covered bacon. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to eat such heavenly manna. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Have your chocolate-covered bacon. But it's inconsistent to say that eating right is essential to a good life while at the same time cramming down Krispy Kreme donuts. Our actions often don't match up with our beliefs. Would you agree with that? Yeah, let me try to make it even more vivid. Josh Knutson, come here for just a second. Imagine that you have the great privilege of being my next-door neighbor. That is a privilege. And let's say, man, you got some long legs, dude. Put those suckers down a little bit. They don't go down much more. He's like, they don't go down much more. Um, let's just say that, that because the church loved me and Jenny so much, that they sent me and Jenny and Kevin on an all-expense-paid four-week trip to Hawaii to tour every island. And they said, man, you've been a great pastor for five months. You get to go to Hawaii. I, this is hypothetical, completely a, a, something I'm dreaming of. Um, and so I, I go to your responsible young man and I say, I, I need you to take care of my house while I'm gone. And you agree to do that. And, and, and I give you this, this list. It's a, it's a basic list. And, and, and it has four things that you're supposed to do on it. What's the first thing? Water the plants. He's got to water the plants. What's the second thing? Feed the dog. He's got to feed the dog. My dog's name is Lucky in a hypothetical world. 
I would never have a dog in real life. So you know this is make pretend, uh, make up. So, so number three, what's the, what, what do you got? Take the trash out to the street on Monday and Thursday. Take the trash can out to the street on Monday and Thursday. All right. What's number four? Don't use the basement's restroom. Don't use the restroom in the basement. It just has, it has a flushing problem. So don't use that. So, so those, those are, it's, it's pretty simple. And I say, Josh, do you commit to taking care of my property and my house and doing those four things? And, and let's just say you do. Absolutely. We shake on it. Absolutely. I'll, I'll take care financially of you when I get home and all of that. And I'm thankful you committed to that. So I go to Hawaii. We have a good time. I get a good tan and, and do some hula dance and all the stuff they do there. Roast a pig and uh, read on the beach and all that stuff. And then we come home and, and to the real world in southwest Kansas and I roll up to my house and I notice my plants are dead. I, well, maybe there was some hard weather or something like that. And, and, and then I, uh, I, I say, well, something's off here. So I, I, I put up the garage and I can't even put my car in there because there's trash bags all over the place in the garage. I make my way to the trash bags and I go inside of the house and I instantly smell something that's not pleasant. And I, I, I look, go downstairs and I, I, I see sewage. It, my, my basement is flooded. And I thought that rascal used the basement's restroom. And, and, and then it dawned on me. Like, by the time I come home, Lucky's usually all over me. And I, where's Lucky? So I said, maybe Lucky's in the, in the backyard. And so I, I, I go out to the backyard patio and I try to find Lucky. And, and, and to my shock, I, I see nothing but just a tombstone. That says Lucky wasn't so lucky. <laughs> Rest in peace, Lucky. And in my heart, I'm saying, yes, the dog's gone, but my wife's crying. <laughs> About that time, I hear a knock on the door. And it's this tall glass of water. <laughs> and he says, Mr. Prater, I'm so happy that you're back. I've worked so hard at memorizing this list. I mean, even look at it. I highlighted it. I took extra notes. Like, quiz me right now. What are the four things you want me to do? He rattles those off to me. And in the midst of that, I stop him. And you know what I would say to a kid like that? Exactly what Jesus told these people. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. <laughs> Here's why. He spoke words of commitment. But based on his actions, his words were empty. They were vain. Now keep that just in case I have you house sitting. <laughs> Go ahead, you can sit down. It's a souvenir. Yeah, give him a hand. He deserves it. You know, James speaks of this in James 2.17. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is what? It's dead because it's alone. Don't get confused. You don't have to work for your salvation. Jesus did it all. But good works are a result of true salvation. In other words, your faith, no matter how sincere, if not ever backed up with action, listen, friend, as nice as I can tell you, it isn't real. It's empty. It's dead. Here's why I know that. Biblical belief is more than words. It's more than words. There's an age-old illustration about a man that, 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 that was a tightrope walker across the Niagara Falls. 
And he would draw a crowd and, and they would cheer him on as he would walk successfully knowing that if he fell off that tightrope, he was a goner. It was awesome. It was fun to watch that. But eventually they lost interest. And so he said, what do I need to do? Oh, I, he, he thought, I'll, I'll get some bowling pins and juggle those as I walk across. And then the crowd built up again and they cheered him on and they lost interest. He said, man, I got to do something new. So he set these sticks on fire and he juggled fires. He walked across the tightrope successfully and crowds drew and they were, they were cheering him on. And then they lost interest. He said, man, I got to do something else. And so he got a wheelbarrow and, and he said, I'll push a wheelbarrow across there. And he did it time after time for a week. They were so fired up and then they just stopped coming. He said, what else am I going to do? He said, well, I could, I could put someone in the wheelbarrow. That'd be exciting. And so he goes out and he, he talks to the crowd and he says, how many of you think that, 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 that I can put somebody in the wheelbarrow and get them across this tightrope and back safely? And the crowd went crazy. Do it. You can do it. We believe you can do it. And the next question he asked was this. Do I have any volunteers? And no one raised their hand. They believed that he could do it, but they, their belief wasn't action. It was just words. They weren't willing to get in the wheelbarrow. And a lot of Christians are just that way. Oh, I believe in Jesus mentally, but not enough to get into the Jesus wheelbarrow. Not enough to commit my entire future to him and him alone. Not enough to, to, to confess my sins, repent of my sins, and place my faith in him as my Lord and Savior. So I want you to evaluate, number one, does your life reflect what you say you believe? But we've got to build on that because there's another question. Do you think you're on the right road just because of what you've done? No, I know. I, I'm sounding like I'm contradicting myself because I just told you how important like, what you do is to your salvation or the, the validity of that. But, but just as dangerous as it is for you to base your salvation on what you say alone, it's just as dangerous for you to base your salvation on what you do alone. Notice the way that many who thought they knew Jesus will defend themselves one day at the judgment seat. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty impressive list. That is a great resume. I mean, I've never prophesied as an accurately foretold the future as given to me by God, at least anything outside the word of God. I've never cast a demon out of somebody. And if they can't get into heaven with that list of things, I don't got a chance. But I think it's exactly the point Jesus is trying to make. It seems to me at least that Jesus intentionally chooses the more dramatic and extraordinary spiritual accomplishments to make one thing clear. No matter how much good you do, no matter how much you accomplish for the kingdom, that's not what gets you into heaven. Hey, if anybody knows this, it's me. I'm a PK. You've heard that old joke, you know, PKs are drug babies, drug to church on Sunday morning, drug to church on Sunday night, drug to church on Wednesday night. I was high on Jesus my entire life. And it wasn't, just, it wasn't just church services. It was every vacation Bible school. It was every revival service. It was every missions conference. It was every youth camp. It was everything. And my, my, my parents didn't treat me like this on Sunday morning. Hey, Pumpkin, you want to go to church? <laughs> no, I don't want to go to church. Oh, Pumpkin, you stay at home then. There's no pumpkin talk, number one, in my house. But, but there was no option. Well, she was always my parents' pumpkin, but we were never my parents' pumpkin. <laughs> There was no option. We went to church. By the way, your kids ought to be at church with you. I believe that with all my heart. They go to school, they ought to go to church. Anyway, the point is, 
Like I went to everything. I, I did everything. In fact, this, this, this might impress you. You might not really care. But, 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 but I won a contest in my Christian school that, that I was the one who could, who could say by memory in order the fastest all 66 books of the Bible. You impressed with that, Donna? I mean, you're the only one shaking your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, Jeremiah, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, Kings, 1st, 2nd, Chronicles, Esther, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Hagar, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd, Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, Religion. I've got the trophy in my trophy case. God doesn't care that I can do that. You hearing me? I get no mansion upgrade because I can do that. The street on my block ain't going to be any golder. I'm not going to get a special line at the judgment seat because I went to church more than you did. Because I dressed this way at church and you didn't. Because I sung a song and you never have. Because I preached a sermon, you never written one in your life. Because I told someone how to come to Jesus, but you know, none of that will matter. That's not what my salvation hinges on. And I'm not the only one in this place that's a good person, by the way. I would say that all of you have some pretty good deeds to your name. In fact, some of you go to church even here on a very, very regular basis. By the way, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a great thing. Maybe you, you're even involved somewhat in the life of the church. Maybe church has just always been a part of your life. So on Sunday mornings, you just come and give that time to God. And that's a great thing. Some of you are benevolent. Some of you are generous. Meaning when a little Boy Scout or Girl Scout knocks on your door, you're always buying cookies. Not because you care about a Boy Scout or Girl Scout. You just like their cookies. But you're generous. And when a board or an organization in town needs some help, man, you're kind of a go-getter. You go and help those people. When, when you've got clothes that you've outgrown, you'll go donate those to the, to the Red Barn or, or to the Stepping Stone Shelter. Or you, you'll, 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 you'll volunteer on Thanksgiving uh, to feed the homeless or, or whatever those. That's just who you are. Your parents taught you to be benevolent and generous. And some of you beyond that, you're just good moral citizens. Like you've never broken the law and got caught for it. You're, 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 you're really, really good people. In all seriousness, you don't really have a criminal record. What's even better than that? You're raising your kids to have good manners. Your kids don't get in much trouble at school. You're doing a pretty good job parenting them. Some of you have adult children. They've made a a success of their life. And and that does make you feel pretty good as parents. You've done a good job raising your kids to be good kids. You you volunteer all the time. Some of you goes even deeper than that. It's religious things like you've been baptized and, and you've partaken in communion and you pray on a pretty regular basis. Here's what I want to tell you. All these things are tremendous. All of these things matter. But at the end of the day, these things alone won't get you into heaven. Don't take my word for it. Look at the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9, put it up there. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's another verse in Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that pretty clear? 
that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself, no matter how good or religious those things might be, to get you into heaven. Most of the time, when I ask somebody, when they stand before God, what are they going to tell God when he asks, why should I let you into heaven? Most of the time, it's gonna, it, it, their answer revolves around something they did. I'm going to tell them I got baptized as a baby. I'm going to tell them I joined a church. I'm going to tell them I volunteered in my community. I'm going to tell them that, 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 that I never broke the law. I, I, I was good to other people. Uh, my kids ended up pretty good. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them basically, God, I, I know I don't deserve it, but I've done pretty, pretty good. Or, or they'll say something they said. And, and here's why we go to something we say or do, because it's tangible. It's measurable. It's visible. And, and, and we, we can kind of keep score in our head about those things and it makes us feel more secure if, if, the, if the good work score is greater than the bad work score. But that's not how you know you're going to heaven. Because if you really, if you really kept track, I bet you most all of us do more bad than we do more good, than we do good. We probably think some pretty bad thoughts, say some pretty bad things, do some pretty bad things. So if that's not it, what matters? Question number three, do I know Jesus and does he know me? Well, where, where do I get that? Well, that's the line Jesus draws in Matthew 7. He doesn't draw the line, the determining factor. It's not what you say and it's not what you do. It's who you know. Not who you know about. Who you know personally. Look at verse number uh, 23. And then will I profess unto them, watch here, I never knew you. Exactly what would happen if I walked up to LeBron James today. What's up, LeBron? How you doing, bro? And I, because he, he's, he graduated the same year I graduated high school, I've followed him his whole career. And, 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 and I know what, how many shoes he's put out. I know, I know his statistics. I know how many MVPs he's won and how many national championships he's won. And I just start acting like I know him. And LeBron would be like, tell a security guard, like, I don't know this guy. But I know about you, LeBron. Well, I don't know you, Prater. I don't know who you are. For all I know, you're some random fan that studies me religiously. Join the club. I don't know you. And these people are going to say, well, Lord. They called him Lord. They knew who he was. Called him by name. That means ruler and master. Lord, we said this. We did these many wonders. But Lord... And he will say the saddest words that you'll ever hear in heaven. Depart from me. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. I remember one Valentine's Day, um, I took my wife on a date. And I took her to Applebee's. You know, liberal doesn't have all the great choices in the world. But Applebee's was where it was at at this point in time. I still like that place, too. It's not bad. So I took her to Applebee's, and I always like to sit with, with facing the door. I don't like to sit with my back towards the door. And so, so I go, and I sit in my place. My wife sits where she normally sits when we go out. And I've already given her by this time a, a card that I really like writing to her and, and articulating my thoughts. So it was a great card. It was some awesome, awesome thoughts. And she, she liked it and loved it and all of that. And then we're going to go and, and man, we're going to just splurge, man. You can, 
I told her, you can have anything on the menu. You can even have an appetizer. You just have to drink water, but you can have an appetizer. (laughs) And so we order our mozzarella sticks. You know, those are like $7.95. I mean, that's, that's a high price tag on fried food. So we eat those. I notice on the TV screen, I'm sitting just the perfect direction. On the TV screen is, is a ball game going on. And, and uh, I'm watching a ball game. You know, I'm a sports fanatic. So I'm watching a ball game and she's talking to me. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mozzarella sticks are great. Yeah. How's the water? Is it good? <laughs> and she, she's telling me all these things. And I'm looking. You, you get the idea. I didn't even know I was distracted like that. And then we eat our, our steaks, and you know, she even got the, the, the chocolate lava dessert, you know, and uh, I, I, mean, I thought for sure that would make her happy. And, and, and then I, I, I say something when the check comes, I, I look at her and say, man, wasn't that good? And she gave me the dreaded one-word answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe I just caught her in a bad moment. Maybe she's watching TV. And, and so I, I make gesture about the price. Oh, that wasn't that much. But even if it was a lot, you'd be worth it. Yeah. All right. So I'm thinking, how am I going to navigate through this? Because normally on Valentine's Day, you eat a meal, then you go home and hug and stuff. And, and I mean, I'm not going to get my hug. Then it's not fair. You got your steak. And so I'm trying to think how I'm going to navigate this. And I, I take her to the car and, and uh, I just say, hey, you know, I had a good time with you. Did, did you have a good time? Sure. So then I'm like, okay, do I ask the question or not ask the question? I really want my hug, so I've got to get this worked out. Um, so I ask her, I ask her, uh, is everything Okay. What's the matter? And she said, nothing. Code word for asking me one more time. So I said, hey, what's the matter? Nothing. Code word for asking me one more time. Uh, Babe, I know something's the matter. Well, you didn't pay any attention to me. Why are you talking about I didn't pay any attention to you? Like I spent 10 or 15 minutes articulating myself on that letter and Writing that to you and planning out this event. I mean, we drove eight minutes from the south side of town to get here. <laughs> the gas money, I mean, it's, it's a burden. I got to work for that. I said this. I did this. Now, what's, was it the water thing? What was it? And, and she said, you were just watching a game the whole time. And it dawned on me, I was. I mean, I would you know, sometimes look back at her, but... I was watching the game, and, and, and here's what she told me. She's like, what you said was great. The card was awesome. I loved it. It made her cry. What you did was, it was kind. It was thoughtful. But sometimes I don't even feel like I know you. And she said, this isn't the first time you've done this. 
she, she said this, it was a dagger. You tend to rely a lot on what you say and what you do for me. But at the end of the day, if you never pay attention to me, we don't know each other. Here's what Jenny was saying. I don't need your words and I don't need your actions as much as I want your heart. Sorry, guys, this isn't supposed to be a marriage message, but it's really an illustration to teach a profound truth. That Jesus doesn't just want your words. He doesn't just want your distracted actions. You know what he wants? Your heart. And at the end of your life, he's not going to ask you what you did. And he's not going to ask you what you said. You know what matters to him? Do I know you? And do you know me? So I was driving down the highway, went 80 miles out of my way. And you know what made me really upset about that? Is that I had muted Siri's voice on my phone. I don't like women bossing me around, number one. But number two, her voice is annoying. And so I muted it. And I I figured out it's been saying on my screen the whole time, rerouting, 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 rerouting. Because I muted the voice, I didn't know. I'm certain that some have heard a voice today. And it's not mine. And it's not Siri's. It's the Spirit. And the Spirit has been telling you, reroute, turn around, pull over. You're on the wrong road. And here's the great thing about God. There's U-turns. They're not illegal. You can make a U-turn wherever you want. Wherever you're at, whether you've been coming to church at Fellowship Baptist Church for years, or whether this is your first time, or whether you're religious or not religious, whether you know all 66 books of the Bible or you can't name one of them. None of that matters. Wherever you're at in your life, if the Spirit has told you you're lost, I don't know you, then now is your time to respond. Now is your chance to turn around. Why keep going down the wrong road? I'll tell you why, because people are prideful. And they care more about their reputation than they do their eternity. They care more about what people will think of them than they do about what God will think of them. Please listen to me, friend. What God thinks of you matters so much more than what anybody else thinks about you. If you are an elderly person, you are not, you are not too old to humble yourself and get on the right road. If you're a young person, You're not too young to humble yourself and get on the right road. Quit ignoring the Spirit's voice and get saved today. How do I do that? I describe it like this. You just cry out to God. That's it. What do I say? God, I want to know you. In most of all the Bible, we aren't ever given the details of what people say when they pray for salvation. We're given the details of this. In their heart, they believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that he died, was buried, but rose again. And they just cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, I believe. And it's more than words. It's saying, God, I want to commit my life to you. And don't get intimidated by that. It's not saying, God, I'm going to change today. You could never change yourself. You tried and it doesn't last. 
It's, 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 making, it's inviting God to be the center of your life and then over time letting Him change you. Everybody that stood behind this pulpit was once a wicked, rotten sinner. And they still are a wicked, rotten sinner. They just sin less. That's God in their life. But you can't get to that point. You can't get to any of these other four steps until you say, God, I want to know you. So cry out to God, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And here's how we're going to do it. In a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. Every head will be bowed. Every eye will be closed. I'll have the piano start playing in just a moment. Nobody will move. Nobody will go forward. Nobody will do anything. Everybody will be looking down in respect of everybody's privacy. And I will simply, I will simply ask how many know that if you were to stand before God right here in a Matthew 7 kind of way, how many know he would invite you into his kingdom? And if you don't know that, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer just in your heart right where you're standing. Doesn't have to be out loud. But I'm I'm going to invite you to cry out to God. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray and then you just repeat after me and pray that prayer. Please listen to me. The words alone will not save you. The prayer alone will not save you. What do you have to do? Believe. You have to get in the wheelbarrow, remember? You have to commit your life to Christ. Christians, I want you right now to start praying. Would you do that? Just right where you are. Don't come forward. You start praying right now. Because I believe there's some people in this congregation, perhaps, that need Jesus Christ. So before we even stand, every head bowed and every eye closed, before we even stand, I want to ask that question. Does Jesus know you? And do you know him because you can go back to a time when you believed and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Raise your hand if that's your testimony. Now, be honest, please. Raise your hand if you know that. Raise your hand if you know that. Raise your hand if you know that. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Some didn't raise their hand. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I don't know how else to say it. Jesus wants to save you right now. The Bible says, even in Luke 15, that angels, angels are watching. They are ready to celebrate and rejoice if you get saved today. There will be no judgment. There will be no embarrassment. Anything like that. But I want to give you an opportunity to accept that the best you know how. And maybe you're not ready for that. And that's okay. Maybe you need more understanding. Maybe you need to reflect a little bit more. Process a little more. Or maybe you would love to come talk to me sometime this week in my office and just get more clarity. I'm okay with that. But if you're ready for this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with the sincerity of your heart. Very simple. Repeat after me in your heart, would you? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. And I know I'm on the wrong road. So the best I know how, I'm asking you to save me. I believe you are Lord. I believe you are God. I believe you have the power to wash my sins away. Would you please be the Lord of my life today? In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Stand to your feet very respectably, very quietly. 